Well, good morning. It's great to see you, Aldergrove. My name is Kevin. I get to be the Aldergrove campus pastor, and I'm so excited that we get to celebrate Advent together as we're anticipating Christmas. If you're new or just kind of checking out this church, we're a little over a year old now, and uh, we, we've been journeying what it means to follow Jesus together. And, and I pray that, that if you are just kind of checking this place out, that today you experience Emmanuel. Emmanuel just means God with us. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill this place and speak to us this morning. Okay, so it is winter time, which means Christmas, which we love, right? We love Christmas, um, but it also means daylight savings. Has anyone else having a problem with how early it gets dark? Yes, isn't it the worst? I have been so upset this week. So I was driving with my wife, Christina, at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the evening, and it felt like it had been dark for hours already, and this is what she said. I'm quoting her now. My world is a submarine of dim light in crushing thick black darkness. Yes! Isn't that how it feels? I heard someone else say that, that it feels like that, that the darkness is closing in around us, suffocating us. And by 5 o'clock, someone said that it feels like I'm stuck in an Arctic research station with no hope of light until spring. Can we get rid of daylight savings? Is that allowed? I would really like to do that because I am just not happy with how early it's getting dark. And last week, do you remember how much fog there was? If you live in Langley, there was so much fog, it felt like we went a week without seeing the sun. And it was so dreary and depressing, and, and it really affects a lot of our moods. It affects my mood. And, and how many of us felt like it was bedtime? And then you look at the clock and it's like 7.13 or something like that. And it's like, what is going on? This makes us tired. It makes us weary. I think that we were made to crave the light. I think that we were meant for light. We want light to shine in the dark places. And darkness is associated with a lot of bad things. We don't like darkness. Darkness can represent fear or anxiety or depression. It can represent anger, hate, and suffering. There's a phrase that says, the dark night of the soul. And we use this phrase to describe a, an unbearable season of life. Darkness is associated with sin, with pain, with evil, with injustice. And these things deplete us. And when we get stuck in darkness and we hear of all the turmoil going on in the world around us, it's easy to become weary. It's easy to be overcome by the hardships and shortcomings, that injustice, it's so much of it fills our world. But... Today, we're going to be talking about how there is good news because we're going to explore how we have so much to rejoice over because Jesus has entered the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Our sermon series this year is called A Weary World Rejoices. Today, we're going to be in the second part of a four-week series looking at only 18 verses of John. So for four weeks, we're going to look at only 18 verses. So last week, John did verses 1 to 3. I'm going to do verse uh, 4 and 5 today, only two verses. Next week, Matthew's going to preach, and then uh, we'll wrap it up uh, the week before Christmas. And so today, we're going to be looking at, at just two verses. And this is the first time, I, I, at least I remember, being part of a church preaching through John's Christmas account. Because most of the Christmas accounts we look at in Matthew and in Luke... There, there's a baby in a manger, there's angelic choirs, there's a star, there's shepherds and magi. John doesn't have any of that. But he tells a beautiful and rich account of Jesus coming in the flesh. 
Everything in John chapter 1 is about Emmanuel, which is God with us, about Jesus coming to be with us. John is the most unique of the Gospels. Matthew and Luke, they kind of, and Mark, they all kind of begin by diving into the narrative and telling the story about Jesus. But John begins with this poetic prologue. And it's intended to be meditation scripture. A lot of times, like, we read a story and we just kind of go through it as a story. But this is intended and written so that we kind of slow down when we read it. So that we take pause and we really ponder it. We, we sit in it and we, we look at it on multiple layers. There's multiple layers to this prologue in John. Almost every section of the prologue can be read in multiple layers with meaning and symbolism and imagery. We could spend hours on it. We won't today. But even though we're spending four weeks on only 18 verses, I want you to know that we're just kind of scratching the surface. But when we take a step back, like I said, we can get really like close and dive in deep. But when we take a step back, the prologue is simply telling the story of the coming of Emmanuel, of God with us through these beautiful and rich and deep verses that open the Gospel of John. I love what Tom Wright says when talking about the book of John. He says, this book is like a pool that's safe for a child to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Last week, Pastor John uh, spoke on the first three verses of John, and they read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And John talked about how Jesus is the Word, and the Word spoke all things into existence. And, And I loved it when John talked about how Jesus created all things so we can bring all things to Jesus, but not just all things, but the some things, the little things that make up our life. We can bring our theology to Jesus and also our car repairs. We can bring our finances and our friendships Because all things were made by Jesus, he is the expert who can be trusted with the individual aspects of our lives. He's not limited to just the God stuff, but science, relation, emotional, mechanical, all these things, Jesus is the expert. And John told us how in the opening to John, I'm having a problem with John. There are too many Johns here. So from here on out, uh, the, the guy who wrote John, his name was John. He was named John first. So we're going to call him John. From here on out, we're going to call Pastor John by his middle name. His middle name is Daniel. So when you see John, he's not in the service today, it would be great if we all said, hello, Pastor Daniel, because I can't keep going with John and John and there's too many. So last week, Pastor Daniel told us how the opening to John is intended to make us think of Genesis. Genesis opens with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, for the next, like, two or three minutes, I want to dive into some of the deep parts of John, where an elephant could swim. Now, we've already talked about how John 1 is written in a way to make us think of Genesis chapter 1 in creation. That everything begins with God, that there's an order and a purpose to creation. There's even an order to how Genesis and John were written in order to copy one another. And in researching this series, those of us that are preaching through this have spent some time looking at some uh, great material by the Bible Project all about how John 1 and Genesis 1, how they work together. And it's done in a way where it's almost like where if you were to change the words to a familiar song. 
and keep the same, same tune and melody you would think of the original song. Do you guys remember Weird Al? Yeah. How many of you did he show up in your uh, 2023 Spotify wrapped? Anyone? I see one hand. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, so, okay, so Weird Al, what he does is he takes familiar songs and he rewrites the words while keeping the same melody and, and tune, and he changes the words. And the reason why that's cool, if it ever was cool, was that uh, it's cool because it riffs off of what came before it. Songs like Eat It, he turns into, or sorry, songs like Beat It, he turned into Eat It. Songs like uh, Poker Face, he turned into Polka Face. And so I don't have time to fully explain it, but I want you to think of John chapter 1 as being the same tune, as the same melody as Genesis chapter 1. Okay, now I'm going to really nerd out for a minute. So uh, this might not make total sense, but I'm going to start using my fingers and, and uh, trying to, this might go right over your head. If it does, okay, I'll be done in a second. So, okay, both Genesis and John open with four lines of intro, followed by two sections of three that mirror one another. Got that? Four opening lines, two sections of three that mirror one another. And each section tells the same story, but with a different metaphor or a different, uh, different focus. So Genesis 1, verses 3 to 13, are mirrored in Genesis 1, 14 to 26. So they mirror one another. So let me go like this. So this is going to be day one over here. So day one, God creates. Does anyone know what God made on day one? The light. He made light. Does anyone know? Good try, front row. Um, day four, okay? So day four, mirroring day one, is when God made the sun and the moon and the stars. So day one and day four mirror one another. Now day two, God made... Want to try again? Nope. Um, he made the sky and the waters. Okay, so he made the sky and the waters. And then on day five, I can't move just that finger, but uh, he, made the, he made the birds and the sea creatures that fill the sky and the waters. So you can see how those mirror one another. And then on day three, he made dry ground. And on day six, he made land animals and humans. So these things, they mirror one another. Four opening lines, two sections of three that mirror each other. And they actually tell the same story. And then John 1 has four opening lines and two sections of three that mirror one another. And so verses 1 to 13 tell the story of using creation, using a metaphor. Sorry, tell the story using a metaphor of creation. And then verses 14 to 18 tell the same story but using the tabernacle metaphor, okay? I know some of you have lost me, or I've lost you, but that's okay. I'm almost done with this part, but I want you to think about it this way. So in John's creation account, both verses 1 and 14 talk about a creation account. Both verses uh, 14 and 18 tell the, or sorry, both verses 6 and 15 tell the story of John the Baptist. Did you notice that John the Baptist is mentioned twice? And then the response of humanity is mentioned in both verses 12 and 17. So John is following the same order, four, two sections of three that mirror one another. He's copying the same format and style. It's the same tune. It's the same song. It's the same melody as Genesis chapter 1. John chapter 1 should sound like creation because God is creating something new. He's creating new life in Christ and a new way to be human. And it's not too much of a stretch to say that the coming of Jesus in John is the beginning of a new creation. There's a lot here. Now, I'm not going to spend any more time on that because I can see your faces um, and, and I'm just going to keep going. I don't think 
spending all of our time in, in comparing Genesis and John is the best use of our time, but I want you to trust me, it's there. In Genesis, God is creator who brings light and life to humanity. In John, Jesus is the creator who brings light and life for humanity. It's the same, samesies. Okay, um, he, and, it's, and it's amazing. It's so much fun. I've had so much fun diving into John chapter one this week. Okay, and I want you to know that that means that there's a plan, that there is an order, and that even back in Genesis chapter one, it is already pointing to Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things that the Bible and the Old Testament has been talking about. And our text for today is just two verses, like I mentioned. I'm going to read it now. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's a great verse. Will you read it with me? Let's read it together. Starting in verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Okay, I want to kind of dive into the four parts of this. I'm, I'm splitting it up into four pieces right now. So the first part is, in him was life. This is the first part of verse 4. When Jesus came, that, that he came that we may have life and have it to the full. John 10, verse 10. And it's not that, just that Jesus offers us life or shows us how to have life, but Jesus says that he is the life, that we find life in and through him, that he is salvation. I love this quote by John D. Barry. I found it helpful. He says, John uses the word life or eternal life as technical terms, much like the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, how they use kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Life denotes salvation, the state of reconciliation, and access to the presence of God. See, more than a quarter of the times that the word life is mentioned in the New Testament, it is mentioned in the Gospel of John. In John, life equals salvation. Life is the kingdom of God. There's a a famous uh, recording artist right now, not Weird Al, uh, but a little bit different, Post Malone. Um, Some of you have heard of Post Malone. He's a famous recording artist, and uh, there's a track off his latest album called Something Real. And in it, he talks about indulging in everything that the world has to offer. Talks about indulging in drugs and alcohol and sex and fame and money and all of it. And there's this line that gets repeated over and over again. It says, give me something, something real. Everything he's tried, he says, feels cheap and fake, and he's longing to experience something real, to find something truth, something that brings meaning to his life. And this line says, give me something I can feel. Give me something, something real. I would trade it all just to be at peace. Jesus says that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10, again. And he comes not to offer a watered-down version of life or finding the meaning of life in, in the vices and pleasures of the world, but true life, everlasting life, the full life is to be found only in Christ. Many people chase after things of this world to give us meaning to our life. I chase after things to give me meaning to life. But the truth is that that something is only found in Jesus, that what he offers is fuller, richer, and lasting, and it is something real. I think the thing that Post Malone is really looking for is the life found in Jesus, and I pray that he finds it. 
Okay, section two of our text says, and that life was the light of all mankind. A life found in Jesus is one where he is able to illuminate and brings light to our life so that everything we see and understand is in relation to us and God. John Barry says, light makes life possible in the physical world. We understand that. Jesus is the light that makes salvation possible in the spiritual world. So this verse is telling us that Jesus is the lens in which we find our purpose, our meaning, and our identity. Okay, verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness. In day one of creation, it begins with God speaking light into darkness. And John begins by speaking light into darkness, by Jesus coming and bringing light to all of humanity. Light, as we looked at earlier in John, means truth and salvation and everything that comes apart as a part of the kingdom of God through Jesus. And I love this. I love that in Matthew and Luke's biographies about Jesus... Their story begins with Jesus as this beautiful, tender, meek, and mild infant. He's helpless, dependent upon his parents. But John tells the same story, but with a different lens. In John, Jesus' story begins in power and glory and majesty as the creator of all things, as the one who brings life and light to all of humanity, the one bursting into the darkness. He comes in power in John. It's beautiful and it's amazing. And it says in the second part of verse 5, it says, and the darkness has not overcome it. If you've been here for a while, you know we just finished a six-week series uh, that was called Deliver Us, which was about spiritual warfare. And I, and I feel like today's passage is actually a continuation of the series that we were just in because Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. The light has come to banish the darkness, and the darkness has tried its best to extinguish it, to corrupt it, to quench it, to overcome the light, but the darkness failed for the darkness has not overcome the light. Jesus comes in John, not as a sleeping baby, but as the one vanquishing darkness. Spiritual warfare and Satan and lies, they're trying to overcome God's plans. Other translations say that they could not apprehend the light or understand the light or overpower the light or extinguish the light. Colin Crowe says, understood in this way, the evangelist is foreshadowing the repeated and futile attempts of the Jews to extinguish the light, Christ. Do you know what an overture is? A lot of us know what an overture is. It's when we listen to a musical or an opera, not that I listen to a lot of operas, but usually the opening of a musical contains lines and melodies that you're going to hear throughout the, throughout the story. You're going to hear little bits of each song that's coming up later so that when you get to that part of the story, your ear is already familiar with that song. I want you to know that John chapter 1 is an overture to the book of John. There's a lot in here where it gives us just little glimpses of things, of themes, of songs that are going to come up again and again in the book of John. There's the theme of light, and it's found here in the overture, and we're going to hear about light again and again throughout John. We're going to hear about life. We, it talks about life, and we're going to hear about that again and again. We're going to hear about darkness. We're going to hear about the darkness trying to overcome the light. In fact, the whole story is the darkness trying to overcome the light, but the light bursting into the darkness. So when, when we read John, I want you to think about this beginning not just as, um, as, as a prologue, but as an overture to the whole book of John. And just like how Genesis, uh, and, and we're going to see more of those in the coming weeks, and just like how Genesis 
God begins creation by speaking light into the darkness. He says, let there be light. Here in John 1, darkness must once again give way to the light. I love this quote by Leslie Newbegin where he says, uh, the business of light is to banish darkness. So John's setting us up for something. He's setting us up for the conflict between Jesus and the powers of darkness, between a battle between the dark and the light. And he's actually spoiling the ending because we know that the light is going to be victorious because the light, uh, the darkness has not overcome the light. He's already looking towards the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let me read our verse again. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This verse goes so well with the verse that, that, um, that Ryan and Victoria read earlier from Isaiah 9, where it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the peace, the truth that Jesus is more than just a meek and mild baby coming at Christmas, but he is the bringer and vanquish, he is the vanquisher of darkness and the bringer of light and peace. And I believe that this is why a weary world can rejoice, because the darkness has come, but the light has not been overcome by the darkness. We can rejoice. And so today, on December the 3rd, 2023, on what is the first or second Sunday of Advent, depending on how you're counting. Um, where are you feeling weary? Where are you feeling the darkness? What might it look like for Jesus, the author of both light and life itself, to step into the dark places of your heart and bring light? This time of the year, Christmas season is so fun and it's amazing, but it can also be an incredibly hard season. Relationships are often strained. Finances are stretched past their limits. We never have enough time as we're pulled in countless directions over the Christmas season. The mental load of Christmas, the planning, the gift buying, the events, the quality family time, it all seems impossible to fit in. Seasonal affective disorder or SADS is a real thing and, and depression often feels the worst at this time of the year. So my question is where are you feeling weary? When we're weary, it's easy to give into selfishness. It's easy to give into sin and to temptation. Like feeling like we're too weak and we're too tired to battle or do what we know is best. We feel hopeless that we can't find victory. It's easier to just give in and take that extra drink or watch that thing online that we know we shouldn't or, or splurge and spend a little bit more or, or snap at our loved ones. When talking about light and darkness, this is my favorite verse in the Bible I'm about to share, and it's from 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5, and it says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But here's the really good part. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's something about confessing our sin that is powerful. 
Something about bringing into the light things that we hold on to in darkness, things that we try and keep hidden in the dark. Confessing our sin isn't something we talk about a whole lot in church, but it's actually an integral part of the Christian walk. So in a sermon about bringing light into the darkness, I felt it was appropriate for us to actually have a time of confession during our service together. So in just a second, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray the 51st Psalm together, which is a Psalm of David, a song of repentance and confession. When we're done praying corporately, I'm going to invite us to just have a moment of silence where in your heart, not out loud, but in your heart, you can just pray and confess your sins to God. So why don't you stand with me if you're willing. There's going to be parts up here for the congregation to read and then parts that I as the leader will read. So let's start together. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin, for we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Hide your face from our sins and blot out our iniquities. Cast us not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from us. For you do not delight in sacrifice or we would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Our sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Let's have a moment of silence. And all God's people said, amen. You can go ahead and take your seat. And I want to remind you, today is a good news sermon. No matter what you have going on in your life, no matter how weary you feel, no matter the darkness, we can rejoice in the light and life of Jesus. In Genesis, God spoke, let there be light. And in John, once again, Jesus is bringing light into the darkness. That's what he does. He brings light into the dark places. And so the question for us is, where do we need Jesus to expel darkness in our life? Is there a dark place or relationship or sin that maybe you just confessed or secret or hurt or wound or brokenness where you need Jesus to shine his light and to bring life? And so God hovers over the dark, chaotic waters of our life and he says to those living in chaos, let there be peace. To those who are lonely, he says, let there be community. To the broken and the sick, he says, let there be life. To the doubt, he says, let there be belief. To the addicted, he says, let there be freedom. To the one who has been wronged, he has said, let there be justice. To the bitter, he says, 
I will make your heart tender again. To the anxious, he says, I will bring you peace. To the depressed, he says, I will bring you joy. To the jobless, he says, I will bring trust and provision. To the hungry, he says, let there be bread. To the weak, he says, let there be strength. To the stressed out, he says, let there be rest. And to the sinner, he says, let there be forgiveness. Let me say that again. To the sinner, let there be forgiveness. To the sinner, let there be mercy and grace. And to the spiritually dead, he says, let there be light. Through Jesus, God is speaking, let there be light. And Jesus invites you to come, to come and find life, to to come and find freedom, to come and be made new. And he offers us this hope. So today, we are going to remember and celebrate Jesus' victory over darkness, his bursting into the darkness by taking communion together. The death of Jesus was an attempt by the darkness to overcome the light, but the light would not be overcome. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, going back to Genesis, something really cool is that when God says it is finished, he says it's very good. But in John chapter 1, we see the, the six days of creation mirrored, but there's no seventh day. Not until Jesus is on the cross when he says, it is finished. Because in John chapter 19, when Jesus is on the cross with his outstretched arms welcoming the world, with his final breath, he says, it is finished. Because now there is a way for us to enter heavenly rest. Now we can approach the Father because of what Jesus did for us. He took all of our sin, our shame, our brokenness, and he took it to the cross so that we could find forgiveness. I love these lyrics from In Christ Alone where it says, There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. I want to remind you, church, that you have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. You are beloved children, sons, and daughters of the King. And we can enter into rest because of the work that Christ did for us. So as we take communion together today, we do this in the light and the love of Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward to receive the bread and the cup. And I'm going to ask you to just take them back to your seats and we'll take them all together. We'll take it all together once everyone's received them. In communion, the bread represents Christ's body given so that your sins could be forgiven. And the cup represents the new covenant we have where we are accepted as children, sinless and holy children made that way by Christ's work on the cross and his victory over darkness and death. So if you choose to take communion, I'm going to invite you to come down the side aisles to get communion from our servers. I'll invite the servers up. And then if you could return to your seats through the center aisle. If you're in the balcony, we have a table in the back where you can get communion. And if mobility is an issue for you, I'll come around and I'll have some communion elements with me. And if you feel like today isn't the day for you to take communion, that's okay. You're allowed to just observe. But let's pray together. I'm going to invite you to stand and let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have defeated darkness and sin. Thank you for willingly giving up your body and your blood in our place so that we can know you and enter into Sabbath relationship with you. And as we come forward today and take communion, may you remind us again 
Remind us again of how much you love us, how much you care, and how much you desire to shine light in the dark places of our life. Amen.